Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. Well, the Electoral College has voted. The next cabinet is essentially filled. And with the holiday season approaching, our focus is slowly turning to the little things like peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And yet, even with the time passing, even with the new challenges, Russia hacking our democracy, Congress promising to hack health care, Navy drones in the South China Sea, nearly every Democrat I talk with still has the same singular question. What happened? We know all the theories. The Democrats forgot to reinforce their blue wall. Fake news and foreign hacking combined to rig the system. Angry white males. The email server. Celinda Lake has another theory, and you might have heard it before. It's the economy, stupid, and Democrats forgot about that. Celinda is one of the Democratic Party's leading political strategists, a senior advisor to the National Party committees, dozens of Democratic incumbents, and challengers at all levels. Celinda also has shown that she can work across party lines. She's the author of What Women Really Want, How American Women Are Quietly Erasing Political, Racial, Class, and Religious Lines to Change the Way We Live. Her co-author back in 2005 when the book was written, Trump campaign manager Kellyanne Conway. I asked Celinda about Kellyanne Conway. I also asked her about what she sees in her polls and hears from Democrats since the election. I, too, have been curious about this question of what happened, not so much from a political horse race point of view and not so much from the question of Russian hacking. Yes, I'm hugely offended by that. It was an attack on our democracy. Let's make no mistake. But here's what's really been on my mind. How do we sustain as a country with our massive geographic split, the two coasts versus the heartland? What about the disenfranchisement that clearly existed before? Why didn't we hear about that more strongly? Say what you want about them but Trump definitely heard it. I asked Celinda about all of this. I really enjoyed the conversation. I'm intent on using these podcasts to have meaningful conversations about where we are and where we're going next. There's intense debate, even within each party, over what's the best next step. For Republicans, every day now is Christmas. Apparently, Santa really does exist, and he delivered on November 8th. Now, some Republicans wonder, did we get what we bargained for? How do we act when so many of Trump's policies run counter to the conservative principles that we've had over the last decades? For Democrats, they're repeating the old Admiral Stockdale question. Who are we and what do we stand for? Should they find common ground where they can or should they obstruct and block, essentially treat Trump the way Obama was treated? And for people who just want the country to move forward, well, where can we find inspiration? I aim to find thoughtful responses to these questions. I started with Celinda Lake, and here's what she said when I spoke with her last week. So, Celinda, you are a Democratic pollster. I imagine, I I can only imagine, um, how many times a day do you get asked what happened? (laughs) <laughs> more than I would like about once a minute it seems like yeah I bet um and and uh what's what's the, what's your rote answer what what do you usually say <laughs> uh you, when you mean what happened is how did Trump win or why were the polls off or yeah. both <laughs> yeah you're right it's it's kind of a wide ranging uh wide ranging question let's start with the uh you know why did Trump win why did Hillary lose and then mm-hmm. yes I, on my you know list of potential things to ask you about um you know and you know what what happened with uh 
uh, with the polling, but, um, you know, first the, uh, why Trump and, and why Hillary? And, and I guess really the, the question is, I mean, it, you know, it's whatever we are now, six weeks out. Um, you know, the, the, the responses 24 hours out might be a whole lot different than they are now. So I guess has your view changed? Has, has anything evolved in terms of, you know, how you do answer that question? Um, what happened? Well, of course, the margin has narrowed, right? So, um, and Hillary Clinton resoundingly won the popular vote and lost basically because of 80,000 votes in, in key swing, particularly Midwestern seats. However, um, losing is losing and the stakes are very high here. Um, I think there were a number of things. First of all, one was, um, just an over-reliance on the belief that demography is destiny. And uh, that's true if people turn out to vote and if they vote in the right states when you have the electoral college. So we still had an electorate that was 71% white, for example. And um, we had less turnout among the groups of voters and less consolidation among the rising American electorates. So we had more third-party defections. And it was just a couple of percentage points, but after a while it starts to add up. So among unmarried women, among millennials, among people of color, the turnout, with the exception of Latinos, was not as high as we had hoped, and there was more vote for third party than we had hoped, and that could be the margin of victory. A second factor that I think is very, very strong is the lack of an economic message. And we don't just have to explain the loss of Hillary Clinton. We have to explain the loss up and down the ticket. I mean, Democrats lost across the board. We lost the Senate. We lost um, state legislatures we've had for 100 years. We lost lower ballot, uh, lower tier B ballot uh, secretaries, treasurers, that, those kinds of offices. So we lost pretty broadly. And I think the lack of a strong enough democratic profile on the economy is the number one explanation for that. Democrats on election day were... Um, in October, in September, we're 11 points behind the Republicans on the economy, 17 points behind in October. Hillary Clinton was six points behind Donald Trump on the eve of the election on who would be better on the economy. And um, we've never won an election where we aren't ahead on the economy. So if you want to ask me who's going to win in 2020, I will tell you whoever. Tell me the day before the election who's ahead on the economy, and I will tell you that is the person that's going to win this election. So Democrats have to get a more robust, growth-oriented economic profile that is particularly convincing to white, blue-collar voters whom we have stood up for and represented for a long time. And so how do Democrats whiff on that? I mean, in, in particular, you know, how, how can, how can, you know, I mean, we, we all, you know, you can go back to, to 92, it's the economy stupid. And, uh, you know, one of Hillary Clinton's, you know, key political advisors in theory, perhaps potentially Bill Clinton, you know, ran mm-hmm. a whole, whole campaign on that. I mean, I'm holding aside, right. we can, you know, I, I don't know all the ins and outs to what extent, uh, you know. Uh, former President Clinton did or didn't have, uh, you know, the ear of the the campaign. But, mm-hmm. but regardless, this question: How can that happen? How how could uh, Democrats kind of not have 
it, is it not having a plan, not having a message? Is it not, not having a vision? Is it ignoring that, wait a minute, you know, um, we're, we're behind going into the voting and the months going into the voting on this key question and we've never won without it? Um, what, was the panic being sounded? What, what, what happened on that front? Well, I think this is, first of all, not just a Hillary Clinton problem. It was a Democratic problem. Yeah, that's fair. And yes. um, the uh, issue is that I think, number one, Democrats wanted to take credit for an improving economy when many voters disagreed that the economy was improving. And we've had some problem on this economic profile and economic message throughout the Obama years. For a long time, in 2012, Barack Obama was behind Mitt Romney on the economy. It was only when he went after him on the 47% and the tax breaks for the wealthy that he pulled ahead. And there was, uh, you know, it, it appears uh, a real division within the Clinton campaign around having uh, an economic message. The bottom line is there's only one ad run nationally on the economy and a series of individual economic uh, proposals doesn't make an economic message. And even a strong stand on helping working families, particularly working women, isn't big enough to, t- to get the entire United States economy back on its feet. And that's what people want. And so that was a, a major, major issue. And I think the seeds of that problem are Democrats have the policies and they thought they could rely on them. Democrats think the economy was improving and the voters disagreed with that. And, um, you know, there were aspects of this economic message that were difficult for Hillary Clinton because she had been attacked for being too close to Wall Street in the primary. She um, didn't want to, you know, it's easier for the opposite party to draw a clear contrast with the Obama years. So it was a very complicated but also a very a devastating uh, piece of business. And, and you know, of course, that you know now that uh, you know he's now President-elect Trump, um, he he's not going to name uh, Wall St- people with t- you know strong ties to Wall Street. Th- those people will not get cabinet positions. You 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 know that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard that. Although, my goodness, when you put a head of an oil company in charge of the State Department, I think you've really gone over the edge. Yeah. Um, what are you advising Democrats? I mean, it's interesting. This was across the ticket and, and down the ticket, and it, it is state houses, and even um, you know, even further down than that in terms of the Democratic Party. I mean, you are a Democratic pollster, so you know my questions aren't necessarily in in this direction. What are you advising? Is this a top down, you know, organizational challenge, and somehow they've got to get uh, organized at the top, or is this a grassroots? You better work it. At the you know state legislative level, and you better start working on cohesive and coherent economic messages, and you better build it back up from the from the bottom. How are you advising Democrats? Well, both, but we don't have really the top down because we don't have any vehicle for the top down. Yeah, uh, we don't control the House, we don't control the Senate, we don't control the presidency. So. I think that our um, it's going to have to be from the grassroots up. We do have 36 gubernatorial elections up in 2014, in 2018, I mean, and it will be as critical to have an economic message to win those as it is to win uh, the presidency. We also have a lot of overlap of Senate seats with those gubernatorial races. So uh, we need very, very much to... Um, have an economic message 
And a message, again, is not a five-point plan. It's a, it's a values-based vision. And we may, you know, critique uh, Donald Trump's um, 144 character Twitters, but or tweets, but it works. Um, it worked to communicate, and he repeated, repeated, repeated. And at the end of the campaign, people knew what Donald Trump's economic message was. They did not know what Hillary Clinton's economic message was. Are you surprised? You've written a couple of things that you've written. One of them was uh, um, uh, what happened in 2016 and analyzing the impacts of the turnout, the economy, change, racism, and, and sexism. And one mm-hmm. of your points, so you've, you've hit on a couple of those points, including um, you know that a strong having a strong economic message is critical. Um, in that report, you also wrote that Democrats have significant ground to make up with the working class and have to get back to mm-hmm. their working class roots. And you, you've touched on that That's a little right. bit in in this conversation. T- tell me more on that. And and are, are you can are you surprised what happened? How how did that get? lost. Um, and are you surprised that it got lost? No, it's been a problem over time. And we've seen eroding support. Actually, um, at, it's camouflaged a little bit by the growing diversity in America, but it's been a problem for a long time. I was surprised at the margin in rural areas. So we went from being seven points behind to 28 points behind. Uh, that is pretty dramatic. And um, I think and that did surprise me, particularly personally coming from rural Montana. So I think that um, uh, what we have to do is, is step back and realize that it is very, very important to have uh, an economic message and that that economic message has to be good for rural America. It has to be good for blue collar America as well. Our party is been has been seriously divided on trade and that has hampered us from having a blue collar oriented message um and uh we are perceived to be um more on the side of people with college educations than people with blue collar uh backgrounds and that is just something that is really problematic um and uh something that you know won't uh we won't win that way um so we have to put together a coalition that brackets people of color who are in very serious trouble in this economy, unmarried voters who are in very serious trouble, millennials who are having a very difficult time getting ahead with the older white blue-collar voter. And there's nothing inconsistent about being for both of those groups. To touch on one of the points that you made before about uh, the lack of a you – know, well, the lack may be too strong, but but the difficulty of a top-down um, organizing principle, let's say, for, for the Democrat – Democratic Party. Um, you, you, you wrote recently, I think this was part of your analysis in the most recent George Washington University battleground poll um, about Bernie Sanders. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you wrote that as the Democratic Party begins the process of soul searching and rebuilding, the data suggests that Senator Bernie Sanders can serve as a source of strength and leadership for mm-hmm. Democrats, both in their efforts to unite internal divisions, as well as to expand their ranks. Um, can he, I mean, you, you didn't go directly to him and, you know, when we were just talking about it a moment ago, is, is that because yes, he's maybe potentially best positioned, but he's a fellow who didn't even win the democratic nomination or is there potential, you know, can, can Bernie Sanders serve as, as potentially, um, someone or, or something in terms of ideas to, uh, for Democrats to rally around? 
Oh, I think he can be one of several voices that could be quite strong for Democrats to rally around. Uh, so I think that is a, a huge potential. And I think there is um, a group in the party, Keith Ellison, um, uh, the senator from Massachusetts, yeah, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren, Warren yeah. um, Bernie Sanders, all of whom can articulate a very strong populist uh, alternative message. Um, in some ways, being in the minority is liberating because uh, now we don't have to worry about protecting incumbents. Um, and so we're freed up, I think, to be more aggressive on these economic questions. What do you make the, the, the big topic right now as you and I are talking is this question of uh, Russian hacking and, uh, yes. uh, you know, and the, the CIA findings and the other intelligence that's that's come out from a polling point of view and from a democratic strategist point of view um what what's your view on that how should you know um senate has uh, mcconnell and uh, mccain have called now for hearings um on this question is that uh is that something that democrats you know so first of all what does this do to Democrats in terms of um, viewing the election results? Um, there's this question of the tainted election. Is that constructive? Does that start to feel like sour grapes? Or on the other hand, is this perhaps the most important question we have around um, the, the state of our democracy? Well, I think that this raises a very, very uh, important question about the state of our democracy and the state of national security. Um, and I think that, um, you know, I don't think it's particularly useful to go back and look at um, rigged elections or, um, you know, that kind of thing. I think we need to move on. But it's a very serious question moving on. And it's a question that, particularly the national security aspect of it, surpasses partisanship. And uh, I think it's noticeable that there are leaders in the Senate calling for this investigation as well, also raising doubts about the Secretary of State appointment to the Russian government. So um, these are very, very important national security questions, and that ought to rise above partisanship. And how do you, you know, how do you advise Democrats? I mean, it, it, it... I, I hear you on rising above partisanship. By the way, I, I totally agree with that. Um, and so how do Democrats – does it feel like every time Democrats say something um, on this that uh, um, that they could be viewed as, as being partisan? How, how do they walk that line? Well, I think they could be viewed as spoilers. I think the CIA is kind of <laughs> taking it to a new level. And I think the president calling for an investigation and then the Senate calling for hearings. I mean, this is no longer a partisan issue. This is solidly bipartisan, solidly in the court of national security. And I mean, I think it's, it's, it's really astounding and kind of a brave new world where Donald Trump is saying he knows more than the CIA does. And, so I, I think this is really um, uh, it's new ground. Not, uh, I mean, this is just beyond anything. I think. How, are you concerned at all? I mean, and and here I mean more more broadly, and I, and and I tell you specifically what's on my mind. Um, I'm concerned about uh, urban centers uh, versus um, the center mm. of the country. 
Um, I'm concerned about a popular vote that is two and a half to three million different from the Electoral College. And, you know, we can, uh, you know, we can have another conversation about the pros and cons of the Electoral College. And, and you know, there, there are both. There are pros and cons to it. Um, and, you know, you start getting into questions of Russian hacking. You start getting quite into questions mm-hmm. of, you know, the core of our democracy. Um, what... What do you see? I mean, you're you're talking to people, uh, you know, throughout both parties. You are thinking about the state of our democracy. You've been, you know, one of a number of key players, integral in in you know aspects of our democracy over the last uh, years, and in what you do for a living, what you've dedicated your life to. Um, what 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 are you thinking about? Uh, what are you thinking about that? Well, it's a re- Really sobering question, and um, one of the things I think that's hardest here uh, is uh, I think that a democracy is linked. Um, well, first of all, this foreign interference is a very, very serious threat, and the second thing I think that's a very serious threat is the uh, false news. False news is a campaign tactic. The lack of media accountability for Donald Trump. Uh, the way he denies it even when he is being held accountable. And we've just never been in a situation like this. Um, we've never been in a situation where, where somebody says they know more than the CIA does and they haven't even been to most of the briefings. And, um, I think that, um, this false news, aggressive social media strategy has opened up a brave new world. It could be very dangerous for democracy. Um, and we've got to really figure out what of our institutions do we try to protect uh, to maintain a democracy. I personally believe a robust, investigative, independent press is very, very important for democracy. And that's true whether they're writing good stories about my candidates or bad stories about my clients. And what are you hearing? I mean, as part of the battleground poll um, and part of the work that that you're affiliated with, with uh, George Washington University, um, they do a by, I mean, it's a bipartisan approach. Yes. And so when you, you, you surely must talk all the time with um, colleagues or, or friends or people who, you know, or, or adversaries, as it were, um, who have Republican leanings or have Republican clients. Are you hearing this type of concern? Have you had any conversations on this front? Is there, is there common ground? One of the things I've also, you know, found myself, and I'm not alone by any stretch on this, worrying about uh, post-election is this question of, of common ground and whether that's even, you know, is that possible at this point? So I guess first on this question of, you know, concerns about the, the you know, the state of, of the democracy, um, is that something that you're hearing on the Republican side or from Republican friends as well? Or are they kind of, you know, have you not really heard it? It's not much of uh, the conversation that you're having. Well, certainly the uh, Russian hacking is of real concern to the to the Republicans, and and the great irony here, of course, is that the Republicans were traditionally more anti the Soviet Union than the Democrats were. So, um, this is kind of a brave new world. But I think yes, the security aspect of this, for sure, um, is a big concern to Republicans. Um, 
unfortunately, I think a lot of the other things like false news stories, et cetera, are getting viewed only in a very partisan forum. And, um, and that's true on both sides of the aisle. And I, I hope that we can find some forums where some of these things can be explored in less partisan forums. Um, so I think that's very, uh, critical. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's a, a direct answer right now. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's certainly an area of, of concern. And, and, you know, I think all of us coming out of uh, this campaign, there are just such a number of things to, you know, be just a little bit uh, worried about to say the least. And it really, for me, I'm, I'm, I've been focused a great deal on this urban versus uh, rural mm-hmm. um, divide. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you know, I know that you're, you're from Montana originally. I'm from the Midwest right. originally. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's really, you know, that, that just doesn't feel, um, sustainable in a positive way in, in my mind. Right. And so I, I've found myself spending a lot of time, uh, thinking about it. I, I guess to, to, to close out this part of the conversation or, or this conversation, and, and I would, uh, always, you know, welcome the opportunity to get to talk with you at any time. Um, f- one thing about common ground that yeah, I wanted please. to speak to as your second point, um, yeah. first of all, there are so many things that most Americans agree on. And the great irony is Kellyanne Conway, uh, Donald Trump's campaign manager, and I wrote a book um, a decade ago on what women really want. And it was about how women are changing the political landscape. But it was also about the 80% of things that 80% of women agree on. And um, that that is there is a lot of common ground out there, and I hope that uh, we can find it. When's the last time you spoke with your uh, co-author? I, oh, in her early days with Trump, I haven't talked to her since then. Okay, well, maybe maybe you can give her a ring and uh, just find out exactly go. what's going. On. Does it surprise when you see her? Is she? Consistent? Is this how, how you always, I mean, is what she's saying consistent with how she's always been? Um, well, I mean, she's working for a particular person. And so this is, you know, she's consistent in her, her loyalty, her professionalism, and her brilliance in terms of, um, dealing with her clients. Um, but, uh, you know, there, you know, she was originally working for, um, uh, Ted Cruz. So yeah. there, she's obviously had some changes in opinion. She took a lot of heat. Yes. Did that surprise you? Uh, no. Comes with the territory. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, so to, to close out, uh, it, and it comes frankly from being a woman in that territory. Yeah. And she was, she was, she indicated that if, if memory serves, I mean, I, I, you know, like everyone else, I watched a lot of her and, um, you know, she took a lot of, uh, um, you know, she took a lot of, she, she was in the fire. She, you know, she was in the fight. Oh yeah. yeah. She's very good. Yeah. Yeah. She was, uh, she was in the middle of it. Um, so just to, to close out in, in getting to, um, what people pay you for, which is analysis and again, guidance and, and, uh, strategy and thinking and, uh, insight and answers and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I, I feel as well, I mean, we all sense a real split, let's say within Democrats and a sense, you know, on the one hand, uh, a, 
some folks feeling like, well, let's find what the common ground is. Let's find areas of common ground where we mm-hmm. can and let's make progress. And, and right. Let's call That's it one. what the public wants. It's what I, th- so, okay. I mean, yeah, I'm definitely interested in, in what insights you're getting on that. But at the same time, I'm reading your, I'm sure you must be hearing as well the same thing um, of this is not a time to compromise. This is, this is a time to stand up. This is a time to fight that we, you know, at, at every front because next thing you know, it's going to be, you know, the, the nominee for the, the next Supreme Court justice. And, and there's just, this is a time to fight. This is not a time to find common ground. So I guess both, what are you hearing on that dichotomy and what are you advising? Well, our party is certainly divided between whether we resist or find common ground. I propose a third way, which is I think we ought to offer what we uh, are, what we stand for. And I think that when the Trump Republicans agree with us on what we stand for, we ought to welcome their participation. So uh, the group of Democrats I'm affiliated with uh, are very strong about we need fair trade laws, not free trade laws. We should welcome the Trump folks on that. Um, we have stood uh, for a long time, and Elizabeth Warren has spoken for a long time against the Chinese manipulation of currency. We should welcome Trump, Republicans, or anybody else who wants to have that issue. When they propose, we stand for protecting Medicare. When they propose privatizing Medicare, we ought to say, no, that's not our view. So I wish the Democrats would actually offer their five-point plan on security jobs in the economy and then uh, invite the Republicans to join them. And when the Trump Republicans join them, uh, when we, we agree, let's hope we can join together. That would be a, a nice vision. I guess one of the questions would be, and you, you know, you kind of answered it earlier, and this is one of the challenges, I guess, is where does that organizing view of democratic, you know, points of view and positions on the various key issues, how does that get organized? And, uh, you know, with the party that, uh, you know, is out of the presidency, out of the House, out of the leadership of the House, leadership of the Senate, um, as well as uh, the the great majority of uh, state houses, um, getting that organization seems, that seems like such a massive uh, challenge for Democrats. Well, I think the key is um, trying to understand um, what is going on in terms of um, – well, I think we're in this temporary period, and I think what's really important after this is to um, – uh, we need to lay out our alternative. We need to lay out our point of view on things. We need to fight for it. It is a point of view that is supported by the public, and I think that will be a winning posture. Celinda, thank you. Thanks for uh, making thank the time for me. Thank you very much. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Me too. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. That was my conversation with Celinda Lake. I felt she was concerned about some of the same things that have been bothering me. I'm really focused on our democracy. How do we keep it strong when so many seem to be working against it? It's a key question, and I really appreciated Celinda's insights. So my great thanks to Celinda for joining and you for listening. I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. Mm-hmm.